brace yourself because you're about to dive into another free first hour episode of the Higher Side Chats. And we just want to let you know that whether you're looking for a companion through your paranoid insomnia, entertaining yourself through one of life's mundane activities, or trying to ward off the internal screams of all those sad, smothered souls around the office, THC is here. And you should know that every episode of the Higher Side Chats has an entire second hour for Plus members. Sign up at thehiresidechatsplus.com and you'll get years of Plus show archives, lifetime forum access, a special invite to Greg Carlwood's monthly joint sessions, MP3s of THC music, bonus episodes, tour videos, and 10% off t-shirts, grinders, and whatever else ends up in the Higher Side store. It's $8 a month that you won't miss. So become a Plus member and treat yourself in these troubled times. Always action-packed and commercial-free, which means you'll unfortunately never hear my voice again. In the 1930s, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt addressed the nation through a series of radio broadcasts known as the Fireside Chats. His aim was to reassure the common man that our society would recover from its troubled times. Well, we're far from 1930, and I deal with a different kind of fire. For a new era of worldly frustration, we offer a fresh conversation. I'm Greg Carlwood, and these are the Higher Side Chats. The power of Christ compels you, people. How we doing out there from sunny San Diego? I'm Greg Carlwood. And as the cyber screws tighten in our technocratic times, it seems as if many people are ping-ponged between one outrage-accumulating algorithm to another. Climate change debates, who voted for who nonsense, corporate-backed talking points, tug-of-wars for moral superiority, kindergarten-level character analysis, deep-state debates, commentary on The View, and Star Wars bickering with just enough Baby Yoda sprinkled in to keep us all from killing each other. Rinse and repeat. The culture has lost its mind, and that is when I call one of my favorite cultural mind finders and the actual Ghostbuster, Gordon White. He's the man behind books like Starships and the Chaos Protocols, and he cooks up one hell of a magical brew at runesoup.com, where you can become a premium member for a bona fide roadmap to esoterically improve your life and jailbreak this island Earth with the best magical courses since Alexandria. He joins us here for the 11th time, still king of the higher side hill. Here he is, the results getting guru, the mutual flourishing facilitator, and the true magical master of his domain. Gordon, my man, welcome back to the higher side. Well, thank you very much, Greg, for mentioning Baby Yoda in my intro. That's lovely. <laughs> the least I could do, man, but it is always a pleasure. Of course, only once that intro is over, because it's getting harder each time to try and stay creative. I actually thought about doing an anti-intro this time and just saying, folks, it's Gordon White again. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Sometimes it's nice to do something the algorithms wouldn't expect, right? Exactly. But here we are, predictable as ever. And to pick up where we left off, I guess, last time we talked, your world down under had recently been on fire, although it was beaten back by the great water dragon spell of 2019. How are things going for you now, man? This summer so far, Tasmania, which is the little island state to the south of mainland Australia, for people kind of unfamiliar with the geography, we've had a benign beginning, I guess, to the commencement of the fire season. It's important to realize that actually the greatest fire risk month in Australia is February. So that's typically the driest month on the calendar. 
And that's literally when bushfire season is supposed to start rather than September, which it did on the mainland this year. So um, at the moment, we're doing better than a lot of friends and family on the coast. But hopefully by the time this comes out, you never know. Miracles may have intervened. Mm. Yeah, let's hope. I've seen enough burnt koalas at this point to think it's pretty bad and that February could be worse is not good to hear. Of course, it's unfortunate also that anything that happens anywhere just makes more fodder for the climate alarmist to point to, whether it's truly related or not. Absolutely. And having been through this, so after it happened to us last summer, like I have a background in, in I guess, experience with fire in the sense that I, I have family in regional Australia and so on. So it's not like I was unfamiliar with bushfires. I hadn't been in them to the extent that a 60,000 hectare fire would get 200 meters from the farm I just bought, which is what happened last year, right? And it's interesting. There's like a fog of war effect that happens. And it's understandable when people are going through a dramatic event like this. And to some extent, it's a plague on both their houses. The, the climate alarmists who are faking things like the images of Australia on fire is actually just a doctored image of clouds in Australia and all this stuff. They're not helping by doing that. And by the same token, you sort of have a center-right government organization trying to score points in the middle of a disaster. And you get that everyone's kind of yelling and the quality of the information that people are receiving during the event about its causes and and what we should do about it and so on is an absolute mess. And that was something I experienced on a lesser level last season. But this season, it's a mess. And you kind of end up with a plague on both their houses. Everyone is right and wrong across the spectrum of it, which is kind of my new emerging axis for things that interest me when I look across the sort of 17th century idea of the left to the right. And if they're all right and wrong simultaneously, I kind of have a an emergent rune soup axis, which is <laughs> where we put those things on. And it is that. I mean, the, the very idea that the thing we should be doing as bushfires have burned through Australia is to try to cool the planet urgently <laughs> is not how you stop a bushfire. And I can tell you that from personal experience. So it's a mess in terms of discourse. And I just hope, well, obviously I hope it ends quickly, but I hope once it does, cooler minds will approach the situation with a bit more rationality and definitely have the discussions about the impact of climate change on on whatever the hell's going on, as well as all the other stuff. But at the moment, everyone's yelling at each other and lying, and it's a mess if you're trying to get quality information. Right, right. And nobody's really pointing the finger at true polluters. They're not talking about Nestle. They're not talking about oil monopolies or Monsanto or the damage to the land of uh, monocrop farming. They're basically just looking at just general people and saying – you know, you guys need to cut back because you're ruining the planet. And it's like, we don't make a lot of these decisions. We just live. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And what is happening if people are unaware? And it's not that this isn't true. Like, I, as I said, I have regional Australian family. So we had firefighters at Christmas when I went back to the mainland. It's the same thing in California, right? The overwhelming majority of bushfire situations are lit by humans. And a sizable chunk of that are, in fact, deliberately lit. So this is where we're losing a lot of the signal with the noise at the moment, because some of them, and I can tell you straight from firefighters who are working in Queensland who arrested them, some of them have done it because they're trying to promote a climate alarmism position. So mm. that's getting really toxic in Australia. Some of it's accidental. Some of it is kids lighting it because kids like to watch the world burn. And some of it is the same people who are in the sort of 
the classic inner city green enclaves talking about how we need to cool the planet to prevent bushfires. It's the some of them have been lit by that and that we're going to need to address this. But this is what I mean by everyone's right and wrong across the entire spectrum. And if we leave the debate or the yelling match, I struggle to even call it a debate at the really, really basic bitch level that it is now, then when the dust settles, we will not have a constructive conversation about how we move forward. Right. Well said. And that is an interesting point about that kind of false flag activism. How funny that that oh, I'm doing this for the greater good mindset, it just creeps in so fast sometimes, even uh, for people who think they're dedicated advocates. Yeah, so this is simple, right? If you find yourself setting fire to the planet and killing millions of animals, you are one of the bad guys. I feel like that's easy. You need to take a step back. And I say this as someone who's historically voted green and I'm a permaculture designer and you know on the board of permaculture Tasmania, like... You are one of the bad guys when you step back from that match that you just dropped into the Australian bushfire and or the Australian bush and, and watch it take fire. You need to question the people who so damaged your amygdala and filled you with fear and terror over the last decade that you think the right thing to do is to kill millions of animals and so far two dozen humans. You are a murderer and that is an unscientific death cult. Simple as that. Right. Which is why propaganda is dangerous and armoring up against it is important. Absolutely. It's funny, like the bushfire thing is a microcosm of where we are, right? So basically everyone is an idiot, but it's sort of like people across the spectrum have valid positions that they are weaponizing or yelling about. And it's having that increasingly polarizing effect, which makes it very challenging for people who are kind of like, well, hang on, cool your jets. Um, I think you're all crazy. Like, how do we navigate that? And it's been interesting and and fraught to tiptoe through it so far. Right. And hey, navigation tends to be one of the themes when you come on this show. And I wanted to kind of start this off with a little 2019 analysis because so much of our previous conversations still seems to apply. I remember you saying that a lot of people were going to lose their minds and just holding the line would be difficult in 2019. And I kind of rolled my eyes. I scoffed. But, you know, 2019 was one of the most difficult years for me in a long, long time. Website issues, misdirected anger, constant challenges to my integrity, rumors and speculation, a Twitter hack, starting a feud with Joe Rogan from my account. Oh, right. Yeah, I remember that. I mean, it's, yeah. it's nothing dramatic. I still have my health, got my special lady, source of income largely intact. So I don't want to oversell the negative. Life's been good to me. But I mean, you really weren't kidding. It was rough. Yeah. And you're actually a very good example of it, right? So you've focused on all the things that are correct there, which is like, I still have my health, I'm still in the my loving lifetime relationship, all that kind of stuff. But being Greg in 2019 was about 50% more difficult than being Greg in 2018. Amen. So it's just to do the same thing is more drama and more work. That's where we are, our point in the timeline, right? And unfortunately, from an astrological perspective, 2020 is going to be more challenging, but necessarily so. And there were some sort of changes in particularly where um, Jupiter was that was sort of running some positivity interference. And there's less of that. Well, there's none of that now. And so 2020 is going to be even more challenging. And that isn't said to scare people. 
to paraphrase Terence McKenna, like the problem isn't to find the answer, it's to face the answer. And we just need to, you don't even need astrology for that, right? Like here we are in January looking at 2020 and the absolute shit show of propaganda that's going to be a presidential election, the various geopolitical things that are going on around the world. You just know that you are going to need to have a, everyone listening, a personal and stringent policy of how and when you do things like media consumption, because ultimately, if you want to get through 2020 with your kind of mental health intact, you are responsible for that. Like, you don't need to be in a situation where your mind is being damaged to the extent that you might be starting bushfires in Australia or something. You have so much power to do that, and you just have to be really stringent about it. Because, yeah, it's challenging times. Here we are. <laughs> Right. And of course, you did spend some time in our little microcosm here in the States in 2019. And you had said in your last solo show that having done that, you wanted to just bring Americans to your couch and make us some soup. And uh, I thought that was really awesome. And of course, for the reasons you're saying, I mean, most of the big machine is tested out on this population first, especially in the media realm. You essentially in that show called it an attack. And it is certainly exhausting. I mean, any advice for people who are stuck within it? Yeah, for sure. So the good news is it's literally all fake because it is just this sort of terror beam focused on the American population. And it's not that other countries don't have fear-based media. This, The intensity of this sort of Sauron eye beam of malevolence and fear, the good news is it's fake. So that's the kind of step one to get out of it. The bad news is, unfortunately, if you are in there, it is pervasive and you have to put way more effort into finding enriching content, whether it's books, whether it's, you know, blogs and podcasts or however you want to do it. You have to put in more effort than the non-Americans to do that because there's a very deliberate case. And it was interesting because I used to go to the US when I was in London, I used to go to the US once a month, maybe a bit less for work. And that was a few years ago now. And it has been an absolute step change. It was always noticeable there, like being forced to watch NBC in the back of a New York taxi and CNN in airport lounges and all this. And it was a mess. It was a garbage of, you know, warmongers flapping their heads about what America should, like what brown people in America could kill next, right? And, you, you know, foreigners like myself would kind of roll their eyes like this is silly and fake, but you cannot get away from it. And it's on everything and every platform now, and this is horrifying, but the good and the bad news is you are utterly sovereign over how much you can have that affect you in your life. You can actually just simply not tune in, just get rid of it all and find things that contribute to flourishing instead. And I think that would be a very, very good move. Yeah, I agree. Cheers to that. I mean, I made a comment a few weeks back about being kind of burnt out. And it's because I feel like I'm forced to engage because I decided to do this for a living to a degree. But at the same time, I could just read a book about ether physics and interview that guy or something about uh, the right light bulbs for your home. And then, you know, that's not necessary. It's very adjacent. And it's definitely stuff that would affect people's health and mental health. But it's not necessarily in the deep end of the propaganda pool and getting exhausted by the daily news cycle. There's a way to do it. Yeah, so you're a special case and more so than I am in that sense because I have a weekly geo and parapolitics newsletter, right? And it's the same when I go on the Thursday afternoon to compile that based on things. I, I'm like you forced to, and I did it to myself and you did it to yourself, but I, I, I'm forced <laughs> to kind of 
keep tabs on it because I strive, and I know you do as well, and that's a good example. I strive to be something different to fear porn and propaganda and the rest of it. I strive to go, okay, well, we're going to look at this honestly, but I'm also not going to, I try not to leave a newsletter and I largely succeed, I hope, in a place of terror, right? Like always leave it in a, like, okay, here's some stuff that's going on, but nevertheless, remember that, you know, these things about you and your life and what have you. So I get what you mean. It's challenging times. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Poor me. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I had a great time at the above event in Portland with you and Austin, and I want to get him here before too long for a deeper dive into the space weather conditions and what to expect going forward. And a big theme, though, of that whole event was that, yes, people are kind of waiting to get back to normal. They're maybe waiting to get through this presidential cycle or whatever, this thought of, oh, I can just hold on for a little while and then we'll get back to normal. But there is no back to normal. As you said, this year seems like it's going to be more challenging. When you look at the space weather, I don't know how far out you've really analyzed it, but is there ever a return to normal? Yes. What is normal? That's correct. So a return to calm, I would say. Sorry. Yes, that's an interesting one. The return to calm is a long way off if you look at blended cycles. And I'm talking like a decade or, or 11 years away. So people want to look at where they are, how old they are, and sort of fast forward 11 or 12 years. And that is when things, as far as I can tell, not return to how they were in, say, the late 90s, not in that kind of like easy post-Berlin Wall bubble, but with less of the hectic intensity of now. Now, the reason for that is because between now and then, a whole bunch of stuff is going to happen geopolitically. There will be fewer stars on the American flag because some of the secession movements, and I'm actually pro-secession in almost all cases, some of the secession movements will have succeeded between now and then. Obviously, Hawaii, but like a bunch of them. And also, the kind of financial capital of the world, according to Martin Armstrong, will be Beijing by then. So this is America's moment to do what happened to Britain in the mid-20th century, which is to move into a post-imperial state, at least publicly. We all know Britain and, you know, crown territories and how there's the direct control of a sort of shadow British empire via finance, et cetera, et cetera. But just go with me and pretend history is correct on this. And there's a handover period of Britain becoming post-imperial. And America's going to do that now. And unfortunately, no one at a senior level inspires the kind of confidence that they will handle that correctly in the same way, and again, largely because of some backdoor deals that the British could still do, the same thing happened with Britain. And even for Britain, that was challenging. So that's what I mean. It doesn't return to normal. There isn't, we don't ever get back to a, funnily enough, mentioning the event, like a, the theme song to Portlandia opens, like you, everybody remember the 90s. Like we don't get back to that 90s slacker America where you can just kind of like coast through life. That doesn't happen. That's not what we get in this incarnation. So it kind of doesn't ever get back to normal. I think what people are mostly looking for is, can we have a return to, and it's pseudo-rationality, but can we have a return to rational discussions and less angry flapping heads and warmongers on the view or whatever? No, that doesn't appear, <laughs> doesn't appear on the cards. Like you don't ever get to go back to having like benign television that you can rot in front of of an evening. That's good and bad as far as I'm concerned that the onus is then on you, as I said before, to either create or seek out flourishing content and art and music and so on. 
Right, right. There's definitely a way to react to it that isn't just, well, we're all fucked. But it is good to know that I need to keep more fuel in the tank because this isn't close to over. And, you know, you did say something, though, that was a silver lining that 2020 had an energy that is very us. And I was curious, what are you referring to there? Is that something that applies to everyone or just us? It was mostly us, but it does actually apply to a a THC listener perspective, right? So the big story astrologically, and this will be top line and Austin can do more, but in kind of Hellenistic astrology, you have malefic planets and benefics and kind of like neutral ones, but the malefics are Mars and Saturn, right? So in one sentence, The story of 2020 astrologically is that the malefics are in very strong positions and sometimes very activated strong positions. So Saturn is in Capricorn basically the whole year where where he's been, slides into Aquarius, which is also ruled by Saturn. So that's like, instead of the goat god of death, that's, I think I said it as above, it's like when the Joker steals the Batmobile. Like Aquarius is weird, right? So you have weird and malefic. And Mars, particularly in the second half of the year, seemingly spends a thousand effing years in Aries, which, of course, it rules. And it does that because of retrograde action and so on. So 2020 is the story of bad guys, astrologically speaking. And within that, a lot of, particularly because the Capricorn energy has such a, like, a, an earthing and coming to truth of ideas that were previously fog of war propaganda, stuff is going to be tabled in kind of like discourse in 2020 that's very very thc stuff like i expect to have more arrests around the russiagate scam and we may end up finding wider tendrils outside of the epstein network it's an energy of that kind of there is no hiding in the bullshit from this anymore it is a cold and unfortunately not a benign revelation it is a cold but unavoidable revelation so these kind of things get shown out it's a it is a conspiratorial year in that sense in the sense that oh look it turns out the banks did this and look there is a worldwide pedophile network and all that kind of stuff that's happened in this sort of 18 month to two year period all these kind of things that have been the fodder for decades for parapolitical analysis are all kind of lining up now that doesn't mean of course that's not to pick a side on it, like, haha, um, Trump is going to, I don't know, round up all these people or any of that stuff. That's not it. Like, the energy is powering both because, as we have seen, although, you know, the impeachment's trash, but like, he was definitely abusing his position <laughs> doing that's something that's right. nonsense. So, all of that stuff is more difficult to hide. It's difficult to hide it in the bullshit, astrologically speaking. These things, people will attempt it. And we feel that. We're recording this sort of immediately in a couple of days after the kickoff of the, I guess, new Iran incidents, right? The stories that come out about it are immediately bullshit. Like you can't get through a presidential press conference or something when someone is trying to give you the clearly false party line and it falls flat. It falls flat at the feet of mainstream media journalists and it's their job to pretend that's real. So lies and propaganda are lead balloons in 2020. And that's kind of what I meant by it's, quote unquote, our year, the people who are rationally concerned and sincerely interested in parapolitics, in conspiracy, because here we are. Right, right. In that same way, comedians were saying George Bush was a good president because there's a lot to talk about. It's that 
that bittersweet reality that business is going to be good. (laughs) (laughs) If your hobby is conspiracies, you are busy, right? And it's not a Trump thing. That's just a world thing. And that's the sort of flavor of the times in a way. Mm -hmm. That will get worse, incidentally. (laughs) 2021's even better. What's weird about that is, I mean, it's a good thing because this stuff isn't new. This corruption isn't new. It's just that for the masses, when it's revealed, it feels new and they deal with it like it's new. But it's a good thing because it, it already was happening. The only choice is, is it to be revealed or is it not? Capricorn energy is a necessary grounding. Like it's one of the less popular signs, right? Because it is classic stereotypical personality types. A Capricorn is dull and dependable, but also kind of can be quite nitpicky. Like it's about crossing those T's and dotting those I's and so on. So when you have a lot of Capricorn activity, which we absolutely do, there's, it's not just Saturn. There's a bunch of, it's sort of, I'm calling 2020 like an extended Capricorn season for a number of reasons. One of the impacts or results of that is this necessary unveiling, a necessary pulling back of the curtain to see, like, there's the wizard doing his thing. That's a very Capricorn move, right? And uh, and it is, it's necessary. And it's weird, like, we kind of have, we in the royal THC sense, there's a peculiar responsibility that comes with that. And it's to not crow too loudly the I told you so stuff, because it doesn't matter what it is. For some people, it was 9-11. Some people, it might have been Apollo or whatever. But we've all had that incident that, if we remember it correctly, was quite traumatic when we moved through it into a, not red-pilled world, but into a world of parapolitical and conspiratorial thinking, right? And so for some people, that's happening now. And just bear in mind, it was weird for you. Whatever event it was that brought you into a world like this, it was weird and sometimes kind of like, intense to realize that the world doesn't run as you've been told it had since you were a child. So I think we need to be, especially this year, there's some other stuff that's going to come out. It's fun to find the small joy in being correct and in your head when those arguments with people at out having drinks and, and what have you that maybe you hadn't before, but also just like patiently, mm-hmm. <laughs> patiently and politely position the discourse where where you can and where you are, I think would be a good move. I agree. I agree. It's enough just to have their minds blown like that. uh, And you don't need to pile on and make it more stressful by saying, I told you so. Well, like the Russiagate thing could have been handled better when it came out that like, well, I mean, we all knew that was crap. It was clearly crap. But for some people who had invested two and a bit years in complete nonsense that it ran their entire lives, they're losing a world at that point. Um, yeah, they were wrong. Who cares? Like, they're losing a world, right? And that's actually a traumatic thing to go through. And you can mess someone up or even weaponize them in, in a worse direction if you pile on. That's just not, not tasteful. Right. Be the bigger person. Yeah. And just to kind of widen this out so it's not all about us, you had Connor Habib on recently to break down these troubled times. And you guys talked about how it's time to kind of tweak the advice of the last year or two and that we have an opportunity as you said to do things more in line with the cosmic ph and i'm all about working smarter not harder and i guess i would just ask broadly speaking you told us a little bit about that cosmic ph but how can we maybe practically swim with the currents rather than against them the first one is to recognize it's there so and by that i mean this kind of 18th century political division left and right. 
is is an arrangement that suited the build-out of an industrial economy over the 19th century and then kind of floundered, to be perfectly honest, in the 20th century and is now a preposterous aggregation of interests for the 21st century. So what I mean by, like, to recognize the cosmic pH is that, is that we don't get back to neoliberalism pretending to be leftism. We don't get back to any of these things, and it's to not fall into that polarization and arrange the stuff that you can, the things that you want politically. We've never, as it's all collapsing, from a technology and communications and, and education perspective, we've never been in a better position to build rhizomatic ways of essentially having our own politics inside whatever the hell's going on in the next decade in the world. So that's kind of the cosmic pH of collapses overselling it, but the cosmic pH of sort of imperial handover, which is the next decade. And bearing in mind, the US isn't going to collapse. Britain didn't either. It's just challenging and things change. But, you know, relax, everyone. It doesn't happen like that. That's the thing that you have to come to terms with. The cosmic pH is we're at a sort of imperial transitional moment. And in that chaos, there are things you can do and things you can seek for. Like, as we sort of reposition essentially into one single global economy and that the center of gravity of that moves into Beijing, there are employment opportunities, there are all these other things we can do. And from a discourse perspective, what I meant with Connor, and I kind of said, like, it's time to start lovingly rolling up the newspaper and hitting people on the nose, who we would be broadly in agreement with if they weren't being an idiot, in the sense of expecting some sort of glorious communist revolution and that will be the self of things. Even if it was, that's not going to happen. So unpick the things that you have as a priority in your glorious communist revolution and implement them. Actually do them in your fucking life, right? Same thing if you're on the other end of the spectrum, because to be honest, as I'm sure most of the listeners to this show know, you take Marx to his natural conclusion and he ends up a libertarian, right? So in the sense that I don't really care at what angle you come to that sort of decentral sovereignty don't be a dick constellation of political beliefs that I think is, dare I say, correct. I don't really care which direction you come to them from. The cosmic pH is now it is time for you to implement that. That is how it happens. It's not getting behind the candidate that most approximates what you think it's going to be because that system doesn't work. So how do you what do you want to continue to be disappointed and angry on Twitter or do you want to use the things that are available now to have that life and we can do it I mean we are doing it and that's sort of situating with the cosmic pH the other part of it is very magic specific like Connor in my discussion there are some things that have outstayed their welcome in say magical and, and witchcraft discourse which I had patience with and sort of highlighted its shortcomings a couple of years ago and most people, I think, have kind of come to that conclusion as well. And it's to do with like characterizing witchcraft as some sort of white middle class feminist empowerment thing rather than, and that loses its teeth and it's racist and all this kind of stuff. So I kind of gently mentioned that a couple of years ago, but in 2020, some of that Capricorn energy I was talking about, that precision and well actualiness mm -hmm. is to gently say this is an unexamined and frankly racist position. And it not just hurts the kind of wider discourse, but it's literally holding you back because you you think you believe in witchcraft. Let's call that the Ferrari, and you've kept your Ferrari in the garage. 
And so let's open that up. And that's kind of what I mean by aligning with the cosmic pH. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's wise for people to recognize that there are ebbs and flows. And what good is it to have that knowledge, but to ride them as best a person can? And the system does try to make us reactionary. Even if you see the lies, it's like you're playing conspiracy Pokemon to try to catch them all. And that's not much better because you're still reacting to the big machine. Broadly, I think this is stuff that can apply to both the magical and conspiratorial community. You have stacked up enough information to know what you need to know. For my people, I'd say maybe stop engaging the empirical day-to-day propaganda that makes you emotional. But either way, we've cultivated the knowledge. Maybe we need to get past that stage and start building out and using what we know. Well, yeah, because as far as I can tell, it's there in the space where you don't need it. You don't need a predictive model to be reasonably confident that at the moment, Trump is a two-term president, right? So however you feel about that, unless he gets killed or something, however you feel about that, he's a two-term president. So stop thinking about it. (laughs) If you know what's going to happen in the election, why are you going to glue yourself to every pointless Democrat debate and all the rest of it? You you just kind of look out at, at November and go... Well, clearly he's going to win. Like if something else happened, I mean, because, you know, we discussed this in Portland, I'm pro-Tulsi, but if she somehow gets the nomination, she won't. But if she does, a different ballgame, right? But until then, he's a two-term president. You probably have better things to do. And that's a real, you know how much time you can claw back in your own life? Time and like emotional strength. Doesn't matter if you're pro or anti-Trump, just leave it. Mm-hmm. If you're happy that he's going to win, then good, you're going to have like, oh, well, that's one thing off my list. If you aren't happy that it's going to win, be like, okay, well, that's still what's going to happen. So I need to adjust my life towards happiness and flourishing. And it's not going to happen at the point of like, yay, my team won. You're going to have to find it elsewhere. And this is kind of what I said in Portland is the the upside of being in these times that won't return to normal actually become very predictable as a result, right? So if you know that they're not going to return to normal, then stop looking for help and sucker and sustenance in the vain hope that some kind of benign center or moderate left person is going to show up and fix everything. Like It's weirdly predictable that the world is so weird. And it just, however, drops the responsibility back onto you as a person to head in the directions that contribute to your flourishing and the flourishing of people around you. Indeed, yes. And it is so cathartic, too, to put down baggage that you don't need to be carrying. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, exactly. It's funny, like, you bring people good news, and they freak out. So the climate, um, you know, climate change is real, blah, blah, blah. Climate alarmism is completely anti-scientific, right? And it's funny, you bring people the good news that their children aren't going to die in 11 years, and they react really in a hostile way. It's the same thing if you try to say that to people who still think voting Democrat or Republican is some sort of credible or useful thing to do if it has ever been. You say, well, the good news is, one way or the other, Trump is a two-term president, so put those bags down, as you say, Greg. And people kind of like, you know, we're so invested in our hatreds and our fears, and they don't serve us. And now is not the time to be carrying them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And another thing I liked from that podcast you did with Connor was the stuff about getting outside of the algorithm, you know, kind of what we're talking about, but expressed a little bit differently about being more creative and less predictable. Because if this next 
decade is dominated by the technocracy and their AI algorithms, you only make control easier when you react and act so predictably. And beyond that, I think we might need to better understand the imagination and why it's such a crucial battleground, because a lot of this stuff is affecting our mind space. And, you know, to think more creatively and to be less predictable is very important. And it kind of starts in the mind, which is, you know, what you guys were talking about. But I think that a lot of people are still fuzzy on what that stuff even is. The imaginative realm, the dream world, the spirit world. I mean, this is kind of where the problem starts, I guess. If I was going to say looking for the root cause of things, that's where it would be. What should people know about how you interpret the imaginative realm to even understand it as a battleground and to maybe fortify against these attacks? Yeah, that's a great question. So Connor is an anthroposophist. I'm not, but so he was talking about basically the same thing from a different angle to what I would. And I would generally, as you know, resort to Gnostic metaphors for this. So he meant the algorithm, or we meant the algorithm very specifically as a metaphor for the technocratizing influences in our life, but also as a step up, like the algorithm is a thing in reality. So we can say it's a cipher or a metaphor for the demiurge, right? So it's that dehumanizing, despiritizing, segmentizing, medicalizing removal of all color from life and, and a sort of dropping down into gray predictability. And we joyously jump into that when it comes to digital platforms, unfortunately. But the level Connor and I were talking about is like, we mean it on a level of reality. So we use some digital examples, like just be aware that you're in this homogenizing script when you resort to common phrases and so on and be a bit less predictable in, in your speech patterns, not just online, but say and do weird things, write a poem, break from the use of digital systems as a metaphor for all life. And I call this like the return to the analog, which is something I, when I was actually a digital strategist, one of the things I saw coming, which appears to have happened, TikTok is a good example of it, is a sort of post-digital world is a return to the analog. And if you look at how what we misinterpret as digital trends, right? So Gen Z in particular doesn't do the sort of millennial doctored photos thing. It's just they're quite confronting and, and up close, gross, even video or, or photos that just look. And the thing is, that is because even though you wouldn't be consciously saying this as a Gen Z person, you're attempting to convey or participate in the real. So the kind of like Insta filter millennial approach is still heading in the direction of the digital, right? Because it's heading into this sort of perfected ones and zeros version. But even though TikTok is a digital platform or however it's being shared, right? Same thing with Snapchat, because Snapchat, if you miss the moment, you don't get it. And that is a way of using digital systems to essentially return to some kind of real. Mm. And that's absolutely the energy of now. That's a real Capricorn thing, right? That's a grounding and a fall to earth. So be unpredictable, be analog, and do weirdly unnecessary things like, you know, I did this the other day, but I was walking past, and I haven't sent a postcard in maybe ever, if not millions of years. And I'm like, I'm going to send a postcard because I was thinking of someone who's in New Zealand whose address I remembered from when I lived there. And I saw it, and I'm like, why not? And it was part of that little ritual to say, I'm going to do something analog. I'm going to send this postcard. And that's unpredictable and analog. And that, there is such power. And if you haven't done it for a while, if your life is very digitally mediated, 
It's going to feel weird to start with, but just do it. Be unpredictable. Be analog for a little bit. Do some little things, and the medium-term effect on you will be quite remarkable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought that was just really great advice and kind of terminology that could be applied a lot of different ways, but it is important. I mean, our actions have been so whittled down to just that neck tilted and scrolling. Yeah. Get out of that. Get out of that rut and just do something crazy. Exactly. So there's not that many. I still use Twitter, but I don't use Instagram. I don't use, I have a Facebook page, but I haven't used my own Facebook account for like, I don't know, what is it? 2020. So like six years now. (laughs) And that's great. Only a few people email my parents to ask if I'm dead. But other than that, there's another thing about being unpredictable if you are, and we are inevitably embedded in digital systems. It doesn't mean wander off to Walden Pond, right? Like, We do still have digital systems, but there are unpredictable ways within that as well. And one of them is to not have a complete digital profile. And I don't mean the like have an incomplete LinkedIn profile, although maybe that's part of it. I mean, don't have all the pieces that you're expected to have that when you are digitally monitored, they can connect. So social security number connects to credit card, connects to your Amazon account, connects to your address, connects to things that you've shared from Amazon and Facebook, connects to your Instagram and your phone again and WhatsApp and, and so on. And you actually see that you have what's called a relational database that is perfect and complete and it can be used for individual monitoring, but can also collapse people's lives on an individual basis. And that technology is certainly used to do so. So have a broken relational database, have bits missing in it. And that's a really good way to be unpredictable. And and I know a lot of people, and it's a fucking great idea, frankly, remove all Facebook apps, whether they're WhatsApp or Instagram or Messenger or whatever off your phone, and then do some meddling on the internet to see if you've in fact removed Facebook monitoring from it because it's easier said than done, right? Just do things like that. Just have a broken relational database. Just be unpredictable. Make it slightly more difficult for the algorithm to squish you. Yeah, yeah. One foot in, one foot out. Story of my life. (laughs) Well, you know, while we're talking about this era and how to navigate it, I'm curious about the spirits. You know, they don't take my calls like they take yours. I feel like the Helen Keller of spirit contact, but... I'm sure that they can be sometimes as individualized as people, but broadly speaking, do spirits have any sort of collective message for the times, or have you seen any changes in tone or theme with your spirit engagements over time? Yeah, absolutely. And I actually realized we didn't answer the imaginal question, but it's essentially the same one, right? Which is when you talk about spirits and the spirit world, and you talk about what you think dream and the imaginal is, If you think, and there's a litmus test for it, which is, do you start with your description of dreams with it was just a dream? Do you think they are less real than your waking life? And do you think they're in your head? Because none of these ideas are in any way scientifically validated because they can't be, right? But also, it's new that we thought that. Alfred Whitehead would call our last three provincial centuries. We decided to trap the entire spirit world in our head and say it was fake. And no other culture anywhere or any when, including our own prior to that 300 years ago, ever did that. Like if you look at the high middle ages and they take dreams very seriously as spirit or demon or angel contact to the point that if you 
and there's something to be said for this, to be honest, but if you have a very alarming dream, you go and talk to the priest about it and so on. I don't mean specifically priests, but I mean like if something like that happens, have a person you can talk to about it if you start to take these things seriously. Because in an animist model, the spirit world is identical to the imaginal and the dream space. And there are, in cultures around the world, ways that we performatively interact with it, right? So I'll give Australian Aboriginal examples. So the use of corroboree or, or other kinds of ceremony is actually part of cognition, which is to say, I mean, it does a bunch of other stuff as well, but it's part of the thinking behavior to get into ceremony or into ritual and perform that because what you are doing is calling up from within you, from the imaginal, spirits and guides and ancestors and totems and beings from the dreaming and so on that will bring to bear their wisdom on the challenge you are facing that you then implement in your life. Now, brains work like that. And I don't mean minds, I mean brains. Like how many times are you told like, oh, if you have creative block or if you can't think of a solution, go for a walk, especially if it's in nature. And you actually see that ritual action is an essential part of creativity, right? Which begs the question of what creativity is. So if the imaginal is the same thing as the spirit world, then creativity is having a clean interaction and dialogue or dare I say communion or whatever with the spirit world it doesn't mean all ideas come from spirits but it means that you come to solutions or by committee put it that way right mm. so to return to imaginal and spirits and what are the spirits saying right now in animus systems as a result this spirits is sometimes used as a gloss for everything in the same way I've been using the imaginal and in that sense the tone is very there is a post-colonial reckoning that is happening now. The last couple of centuries of European imperialism, in the previous decade or so, most people have become aware of it. But not just that, but the dead have returned to be counted because of it. And all of this stuff is a play out of that idea. And you can say that that's specific spirits, because in individual cases it is, or classes of spirits. But we also see that astrologically and archetypally, that we are in a moment where we can no longer avoid the bones upon which, the hills of bones upon which we've built our houses, even if we are, and it's all true, right? Like, even if we are seemingly innocent. I live in Tasmania, which is the site of the worst imperial genocide in the history of the British Empire, or the most successful, shall we say. And that is really saying something. And I didn't do it, right? I only moved here two years ago. I did not commit genocide on the native Tasmanians. But I'm still here on contested haunted land because that happened. And this is the spirits that are nearby come to be counted. And that's a challenging process, but it's a necessary one. And as a result, and you get this in any other culture but ours, as a result, what we're seeing in the world is a kind of play out or fulfillment of a lot of stuff that is happening in, you can call it the imaginal, the collective unconscious, the spirit world, whatever, same diff, right? And absolutely that is the case. This is a deeply decolonial moment. And I don't know if you remember, maybe it's the first Ghostbusters movie, when the Titanic showed up at the dock in New York and they all started coming off and the guy said, better late than never. Yes. That's the visual. The dead of empire, so... The First Nations of the Americas, Australian Aborigines, but also like convicts and, and so on. Let's not make this a, um, a non-white versus white only thing, although it is definitely that. The dead have returned to be counted, to be acknowledged. And if you don't, you get haunted by it and you get sick. 
And that is what an animist would see looking at the geopolitics of the world, but also each individual reaction of it in the Western world. How are you? Are you ignoring it? Are you pretending it's not there? Are you delighting in it? Are you taking this seriously? Are you taking care of your spiritual health? This is what an animist would see when he or she looks at our point in the timeline. Mm. Yes, that's awesome, man, because that's kind of what I had in my notes was a welling up. Because when I talk to people third hand who are more inclined to navigate the imaginative or spirit realm, that is kind of the general consensus is that there's a, a welling up. Uh, I don't want to say the chickens are coming home to roost necessarily, but on the other side, there just seems to be this energy and people who um, do walk between the worlds are like, eh, it's coming. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm prepared, but you know, I don't know if the world's prepared. Yeah, you're right to not use the chicken metaphor, right? Because it's not a punishment. So the dead aren't returning as a punishment, as a reckoning, like in a sort of classic, the ghost of your murder victim comes back to kill you kind of thing. It's not, weirdly, it's not that. Honestly, they're coming to be counted. You need to look at it and say, yes, that happened. So in the 90s, because we had a very racist, well, we still, our racist prime minister in the 90s was a man called John Howard. And he absolutely refused to apologize as, as head of state to the what's called the stolen generation, but for 70 years, the governments of Australia took Aboriginal children from their families and put them in homes and just ghastly stuff. The same thing to actually greater numbers, but a lower percentage, of course, happened with the First Nations people. It's a ghastly imperial tactic. And he refused to say sorry. And he refused to say sorry, one, because he's racist, but two, he was looking at it from a, a legal liability to perspective, which is to apologize is to admit fault. And so he didn't want that. But the Aboriginal conception of sorry is sorry business, which is that we all sit down and grieve together and grieve that a really, really bad thing happened. Sorry business isn't allocating blame, it's acknowledging hurt, right? And that is spirit world logic. And that's what I mean by they're coming to be counted. They're not coming to destroy us. But our refusal to count them is probably the thing that brings down the empire that was built on their backs, which is the kind of broad multi-century European imperial project that culminates in America, of course. So I don't think they're coming to destroy us, but our refusal to acknowledge them will probably do the same thing. So, mm. you know, love that for us. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. I mean, that's super provocative. And I guess I was going to ask how people who are listening to this could just positively contribute or deal with that situation. Is all they really want acknowledgement and empathy? Yeah, and it's a bigger and more profound thing than you realize. So I, in the members area, I have a course on magical geography, and this goes into all of that acknowledgement of country stuff and things that we can do as, I mean, it's not contentious to say occupiers or colonizers or whatever, like a, whatever we are ethnically and culturally and what have you, right? And it, as a result, that kind of constellation or, or relational positioning with regards to you and country, wherever you happen to live, is different, of course. You could do that if you're into it, but there is something – I told you this because I know you think that you can't hear or see or can't hear spirits or you're not really feeling them. <laughs> Outside of a spirit model, we expect the appearance of spirits to be like Hollywood. The room gets cold and you start to see your breath and all this, and actually sometimes that can happen. Most of the time it doesn't because the difference in an animus system isn't that a spirit is like real or non-real or physical or non-physical. It's that they're visible, invisible. So they're actually always there. They're built of speech and ideas, right? 
So when you call the spirits, they are there. Sometimes they're closer, in which case you get those very Hollywood effects. But if you go outside, let's just assume you are a non-Native American and you're listening to this. And even if you are Native American, you probably get your own system. It's cool. Go out and stand. I mean, it's winter there, so depending on where you are, preferably barefoot on the ground and do an acknowledgement of country. And that is an Aboriginal custom. But you basically, you know, you acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land and elders past, present and future. And just do that. It doesn't even need to be verbal. You don't need specific things. But just to be aware that, which I think America is, it's been very interesting being non-American my entire life, right? Mm -hmm. The discourse, as you go through your repeated wars, this time around, the last couple of them, people are actually aware. This is what I mean. The propaganda isn't working. People are actually aware. We shouldn't be doing this. What the hell? We're the bad guys. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean rank and file Americans, whom I love, but the same thing. There was a weird realization, a little bit delayed with Britain. Weird realization. Oh, my goodness. We're the bad guys. Yeah. And that's kind of that same energy, right? And it doesn't mean just because you're not one of the joint chiefs that's drone striking children in Yemen doesn't mean, oh, well, I'm not doing it. It's like, well, no, I'm in, a, in relation to the crimes of this world. and. That doesn't mean you have to, like, it's not a question of paying for them. It's a question of seeing that they're there. It's that sorry business. And that's what the spirits come for us to acknowledge. They ask to be counted in that sense. And we won't do it. And that will be to our detriment. Hmm. Well, I'll do it. I'll, I'll do that ritual and we'll see what happens. But it just seems like a good idea regardless to be humble to acknowledge that if your life is really good right now, that it's probably because Someone else might have suffered in the past. I mean, Americans got to have a little of that feeling there. And to acknowledge it, regardless, is just got to be a good thing. It's, it, it humbles you up anyway. And I think it's maybe a good thing for our times. If you've never done it, you can have the most materialist justification for it, right? Which is people who are grateful live happier lives. And we have the dull materialist science to prove that in the same way. We have the dull materialist science to prove that people who regularly go to temple or church are happier and live longer lives. And the same thing, people who regularly pray are happier and live longer lives and have less health outcomes. And so you can actually have, obviously I don't, it's a falsified belief system, but you can have the most materialist argument because people are like, spirits aren't real. I'm like, cool, fine. Are you going to, like Mr. Materialist, are you going to avoid these data then? Because I will make a materialist argument for you to do this. And they still won't. And that's when you realize that actually everyone does believe in the spirits. And a lot of the time, that's just them being scared. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes that dull materialist data does help to get some people started if you're at least open-minded. So that's a beautiful thing. But I wanted to pivot because I thought we'd be way deeper into this by now. But hey, this is how these things go. I wanted to ask you about conspiracy trends these days. While we're still in the first hour a little bit, I'm going to squeeze it in there. Mainly this theme of phantom time or heavily manipulated history, the history hoax, as it were, that a timeline that's radically different from reality has been crafted to keep us in ignorance. Maybe a cataclysm happened way more recently than we realize. Maybe this is how all these interconnected royal families seized control and rewrote the human story. It's one of these big epic things that's fun to speculate about, but they're have been leaders who have 
told their scribes to alter dates and make them seem like some anointed leader. There is something to be said about the further you go back, the less source material there really is, oftentimes coming from sources that really could only be state-sponsored. And because you're a history nerd, I'm curious what you think of this trend and how much of the history we can trust when we know mainstream historians take so much at face value. They're not always factoring in manipulation. Yeah, that's definitely true. And it's funny, like that is the kind of macro, not canard, but that's the kind of like macro 50% up thing that seems to be going on. Because a few years ago, and we spoke about it, of course, it was flat earth. And again, I'll say the same thing there that I did here, which is wrong, but built on some curious observations, right? And I remember it's the human morphology and the fact that where our eyes are is very unusual for an animal so that we can't actually see anything of ourselves and we're kind of disembodied and the world does in fact look flat from our improbably high center of gravity and above and all this stuff. So the human is built in such a way that the planet looks flat, right? And that is weird to me. That's mm -hmm. kind of odd. It doesn't mean that it is, clearly. But So there is some interesting data that you get. This is why, you know, we do conspiracy yoga in those kind of things. Now, as for like the <laughs> history one, which is that, you know, maybe history doesn't go for as long as possible or as long as we're told and all the rest of it, like history is contested and it always has been. Like it's fine and boring, but we have to start here to say that, you know, it is written by the victors. It is a situation that is is politically problematic and as a result changes all the time now that is definitely true the other thing and it's the same with flat earth is that we can't talk about history without acknowledging that we've probably got time very very wrong and we do and this comes back to again we have this weird linear improbably our experience of time and description of it is linear and regular and that's again that's a northwest european erroneous idea because every other culture has some sort of cycle model right so that and when i talk about mayan uh, day counters who i'm very interested in it's essentially that cosmically every wednesday is the same wednesday and every friday is the same friday so that time is place bound rather than stringing along on this even metronomic line and when you start to think of time cyclically and you don't have to go as far as that. You don't have to go as far as like every moment is the one moment. There is something spiritually and paranormally correct about that. And if you look at certain Fortean events and paranormal events where people or chariots and stagecoaches have just kind of like appeared on a modern road, you kind of realize that time is probably stacked in how we experience place. And that is definitely what you will get from traditional cultures around the world who will, who will tell you things. And so before we look at anomalies in history, we need to realize that many of them emerge from the fact that we do not have time correct. Like it had a major update just in the 20th century, right? Like, oh, look, it warps with gravity. Like, yeah, fine. Like our measurement of it does, but there's a bigger one coming. And some of the, well, the oldest continually practicing cultures on earth, like Australian Aborigines have as a, almost like their core area of cultural exploration is time and dimensions. And they've been doing this for tens of thousands of years. We've been doing it for a few hundred, and their version of it looks very, very different, and they can do some eerie shit with it. So when we look at the sort of fraught area of fake or shortened history or so on, it is a whole bunch of things put into play rather than it being, you know, shortened or 
may be completely rewritten like there's entire continents and so on that are that have been just absolutely written out of history those sort of things can happen tactically and it's not to deny that those are there it's more that those anomalies when we typically discuss them we expect them to come out of this idea that we understand time correctly and we don't so for instance the dreaming or the dream time isn't like a very far ago moment that you know the creator dreamt the cosmos into being it's now like it is powering the universe now so the kind of ancient ancestral forms that shape the landscape and then lay down to be those things are still doing it that first creation event is like a a light bulb that's still going right and so if there's something to that and bearing in mind big bang is incorrect and whatever so if there's something to this sort of imminent all times of the one times model which is what we get from every mystic pretty much around the world is this kind of like there isn't really time there is just this kind of like imminent consciousness experiencing things and that's probably in some sense correct that sheds a more challenging light on ah there are parts of history that are fake or we've invented entire timelines and so on because if in the tension between us getting time wrong and the way that time probably does work you're going to get some weird artifacting, right? You're going to get weird stuff being thrown up. And that's before you get to, if humans survive another 500 years, we're going to be quite competent at what we would call time travel. So time, it's more interesting to me to look at the anomalies in time rather than the anomalies in history, I guess. Mm, mm, yes, I think that's a good answer. Obsession with the timeline is kind of a fundamental error but what I like about it is it's kind of this, it sets the stage for some of those ideas like the alien zoo. Yeah. That Earth is a people farm because you have to, 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 to get there, you kind of have to say, well, we were given this timeline of history to give us a context that distracts us from some recent capture, some total capture of the minds of the entire planet, essentially. Sure. And, it would hide us from some crazy situation we could be in. It is like the building blocks to get you to something like the people farm or the alien zoo. That's why I like it, but there's a lot of data you have to kind of ignore or, or I don't know. It doesn't seem intellectually honest to say that kind of in the same way with the flat earth. It's like, yeah, has NASA lied to us? Has NASA shown us fake photos of the earth? Yeah, but there's a lot of people looking at the earth. Oh, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. I like pulling the good bits out of someone's, this is the conspiracy yoga thing, pulling the good bits out of someone's hypothesis. So yeah. the example you just used of essentially there being a late in history hijack that conceals our true nature from ourselves to allow this thing to run. So that's a redescription of Gnosticism. That is a redescription of certain kind of like Vedic approaches to essentially reality being Maya or illusion that we have to see through, right? And so in both of these cases, if people, and this is what Starships was about, if people come at it from the materialist perspective, they're redescribing a true mystic thing. This is like the time issue, right? They're redescribing a true mystic thing, but because they don't think things like spirits or mysticism are valuable, you do end up with like a literal aliens literally messing with your timeline model. And it, ultimately, they're saying the same thing, right? Which is, we need to awake from the dream of history and see who we really are. And it's a redescription of a spiritual quest. So that's ancient aliens, right? Like ancient aliens is a 
era, a materialist, not that it didn't happen, but it's like a materialist era in misunderstanding the impact of the spirit world on the development of mankind and culture. This is the same situation here. And there are, weirdly, like, so here's an interesting version. Let me give you like a non-materialist hijack. In and around the Enlightenment, we have this idea, and again, it comes, if ideas are people, then I'm, I mean this literally, but a collection of ideas came to the surface of Northwest European culture that split mind from body and then forgot about mind entirely and essentially divorced us from the spirit world. Now, that is literally what Satan or the Demiurge would do or has been trying to do. So, did it? Did that actually happen? Look at the disaster that befell the world. I'm sure, some good things, but look at the ecological disasters and bloodshed that resulted from that split, that fissure between us and body and spirit world. We did that. That was all ideas. And we built European empires on them. So that's a hijack. And that hijack completely changed how we viewed other cultures. So whilst people were racist before, they weren't medically racist because we had medicine and biology and whatever. We didn't think other humans were biologically inferior to us to the point that we could put them on boats and move them about the world to fucking pick cotton. That comes from this hijack, this idea that matter is dead. The universe has no meaning. You see, it all kind of grows from this one thing. So, yeah, funnily enough, about 300 years ago, I will say and mean it completely 100% true. We were hijacked. We were hijacked, and it changed history, and it has kept us in a prison. So you see what I mean? It happened, but if we don't look at it philosophically and mystically, we might miss the true medicine. Yes, man. It's very similar to how in previous episodes we have deconstructed ancient aliens and kind of massaged that hypothesis. Basically, just like you say, you say haunting things. We basically haunted it and kind of said, yeah, there's something here. But because the canvas in which you view the world is just so wrong, you're putting it in a box that is inaccurate. And that's maybe the same for the history hoax stuff. That's exactly it. And I love anomalous history. Like, I have bookshelves of, you know, weird shit under the water. And I mean, a lot of the Michael Cremo stuff is like trilobites rather than boot prints and so on. But some of it isn't. I love all that. I don't think, as you say, I don't think our model is there yet to cohere that into something. And that's where we tend to run off. And, and it's human nature to do that, right? Like, it is honestly human nature to build story around things, whether you have the pieces or not. And so it's not that it's nothing wrong with it, right? The history hoax stuff has some interesting information to share, but it is a very good example. It's like ancient aliens. There's dematerializing that needs to happen before that project becomes kind of like, I don't know, philosophically interesting, I guess is a word to me. Mm. Mm, I like it. I think that makes a lot of sense, man. And what battlegrounds do you see 2020 being about? What agendas should we maybe look for? Not necessarily that we need to solve them, but things to avoid or not get wrapped up yeah, in. Clear, clearly, climate change is a big one. Uh, sure. That's going to be a huge debate that is going to just divide families. All kind, It's going to cause a lot of chaos, just the people who are banging that drum. Are there other drums you see about to be banged that we should maybe watch out for? So that's the main one. And the reason to avoid that is because it doesn't get solved in 2020. And I don't mean climate change gets solved. I mean, it is not the time 
to sit down and rationally have a discussion about various climate impacts because it's utterly weaponized. It's caught up in people's in sort of unthinking rank and file emotions towards this kind of like apocalyptic death cult on the one hand. But that's been driven. Here's the thing. G7 is trying to maintain its control of G20, which is where all the growth is, with a climate alarmism narrative. And it's a very, very good idea because it is based on something that's real, right? So you're in this challenging situation of going, alarmism is not just crap, scientifically speaking. It is an op, right? But it's an op because we're in a 150-year warming trend and, and humans and their carbon dioxide are in some way part of that. So it doesn't get solved. That's just one to fucking avoid because everyone is sick of it. The people in the death cult are sick of not being dead yet and people not caring that we're about to die. And everyone else is sick of hearing that their children are about to die. And so that is not a good recipe for like a healthy discussion. So all you just shut your fucking mouth for like a year and a half, or maybe, especially as I see this happening, we've got a center-right government in Australia, you're going to get Trump again. The discussion gets worse before it gets better, because there will be some unwinding of that kind of like TPP, UN-style globalist plots that is using climate alarmism. And that's going to cause a lot of anger. It's probably a good thing as long as it doesn't take with it other genuine policy and investment pathways to how we live in a changed world, right? But getting rid of like the ops, <laughs> this sort of like being carbon negative by paying money to factories that will just pump carbon dioxide into the earth, like this is a globalist scam. And that's probably lost the mandate of heaven. So the alarmists are going to be apoplectic and everyone else is sick of the alarmists, so they already are. Avoid it. That's the main one. And stay out of the election stuff as much as you can, but like on a global basis, talking not just about Americans, that's the one. You can have an opinion about the looming collapse of the euro if you want. That properly collapses not in 2020, but it, it begins to happen. But really, it's just cool. You just keep quiet. Mm -hmm. And do your research about this thing because it's not a rash. You can't argue with someone who's irrational and everyone and everyone who's publicly talking about this stuff is irrational. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, what I was thinking when you were talking about that is it's kind of like a parent who needs to wait out the tantrum yes, before you can absolutely. have a conversation. That's correct. It is that strategic thing because again, you really need to take care of your own brain chemistry and your own amygdala this year because it's challenging enough. 2019 was, 2020, it's going to be more of the same with a little bit more of that malefic grind. So just be really judicious about the fights you pick and the hills you want to die on because there is an unending number of hills and you're only damaging yourself. Be honest, it doesn't help. It doesn't do anything. You're just hurting yourself by getting in an internet argument about climate alarmism. Just find a better way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that is a big one. And something in your space that I was going to maybe ask you about in this realm is just occult and magic content in media, because there's definitely an explosion of it in things like Netflix. And we know how much deep state intelligence money goes into crafting a lot of the stuff we see, especially in the Netflix space, because that's where the eyes are. So that's where they're putting their money. Do you see anything that you're preparing for in terms of like 
a reaction or an effect caused by this injection of the occult in a lot of mass media because people tend to you know, run with bad ideas when that kind of stuff happens. I mean, do you think this is going to have any kind of measurable effect on the culture? So it's in the members area, but I gave a talk this time last year in Brisbane called Speak of the Devil, which kind of opens with talking about the amount of devil and occult content that has showed up. And there's more of it now. Like I was listening to Chris Knowles on some podcast recently, and, and the host said, like, they got small kids. You can't not buy a book that's got magic in it for kids. That's interesting because I don't buy children's books, so I don't. I don't know that stuff, right? Some of it is. Let's say the eighty percent of it is kind of what we were talking about before. At this point in the timeline, as these ideas of the occult and spirits and whatever are really close to the surface of the collective unconscious, so you get that showing up in culture. It's also, inarguably, as a result of that weaponized in specific directions in certain instances and that's probably the case with some of the netflix stuff and so on but i kind of think because it's a bubble like culture goes through bubbles of things it's being interested in and we're sort of in the second half of it i guess and a lot of the stuff that's coming out now is really shit some of it was electrifying and interesting to start with but now it's kind of crap and it's funny even longer running shows like the Last Stranger Things wasn't very good. The latest series of Sabrina wasn't very good, but the first one was. Like, it's just, I actually think we're at the end of it. I actually think we're at the end of its moment. And I hope what's happened is that as they, the spirits have got close to the surface, they've picked up a few of us who maybe weren't interested in before, and then we can kind of go back to being quiet. But I just think it's what happens now. Like, the model I use very often is, of course, Charles Fort's model of dominance, which is kind of like eras. And so we're heading into the dominant of wider inclusions or witchcraft. And what that means is things that were previously not allowed to be true, like the existence of spirits and magic and so on, now are true and they become orthodoxy. And I think that's the prominence of magic and witchcraft and whatever in culture has been kind of like the unconscious announcement that we've moved into that dominant. And we'll move out of it. It's not like it's the end of history. We will move out of it eventually. But at the moment and probably for the next 50 to 100 years, we're in a dominant that fought called wider inclusions. And in that time, to my satisfaction, we have it. But in that time, we will have verification of actual aliens and psi capacities and other such things will be used in a business environment. Like if you think about what the actual next hundred years are going to be like, kind of in like a rune soup THC world, we're at the edge of it now. Like, mixed and complicated ufo disclosure remote viewing projects all this kind of stuff it's happening and you just kind of wind forward in time maybe 100 years maybe less maybe 50 mm. and like it will be normal stuff it doesn't mean we're going to necessarily change our lives in the same way that the existence of quantum physics doesn't change your day-to-day -day life right like it might power allegedly a few things in your life but you don't operate differently because of it. It'll be the same thing with the afterlife or psi or hopefully UFOs, unless, you know, invasion, probably not. I think that's what we see. And I know people freak out about it, but we've discussed this many times, which is there's a lot of refugees in conspiracy land from some ecstatic and in psychologically damaging churches who, even if they think they're past it, are still very terrified of things like magic. And they shouldn't be. Again, that's like a white person problem because that's not really how the rest of cultures approach the existence of magic. Mm, yeah, good point. And 
you know, some of what you're saying about the dominant and wider inclusion is why I've been doing so many shows with guests on ether physics or alternative energy, because I'm trying to get ahead of that or allow the audience to see, no, there is something real here. And as it rolls out, you're going to be ahead of the game more so than someone who thinks QAnon is helping you help the president destroy the deep state. Yes. Let other conspiracy shows do those. And I'll bet my money that if we learn about ether physics and alternative energy, we'll be ahead of the game in five years. Like our material will still be relevant. Yep. And that's the right strategy. Good to hear. (laughs) So lastly, you are always doing new stuff with your premium membership, always churning out new courses. The new one coming out is a wealth magic course, and that's exciting. Maybe you can give us a little preview of that because most of the courses seem to be about magical tools, right? Sigils, tarot, grimoires. But this is kind of more of a magical aim that I would think would use several of the previous tools. But what should people expect from this wealth magic course? Yeah, so if people don't know, what happens is the site members actually vote for the quarterly courses we do. So I kind of don't know until the end of one quarter what it's going to be. And in the end of Q3, because we don't do it in Q4, they voted for Wealth Magic. And it's a step change, as you say. Like before, the stuff had been quite tactical. Although arguably, Grimoire's is like a world of magic. Yeah. And for people who are interested, like you can get access to all of them when you join. It's not like It's not like a school. It's more like a library. And so that has necessitated a kind of like it starts very soon by the time this is out i think module zero would have been out so you can still join but yeah it's necessitated a step change because funnily enough i don't think wealth magic exists like i don't think it is separate right and it comes back to like defining wealth and whatever and it's not just like what even is wealth man in like a bong rip way because it is a thing even if you know it by its absence you know the feeling of it but the feeling of it might be different if you're like a maasai warrior admiring your cattle Hmm. versus I don't know, Iggy Azalea. So yes, it has necessitated different things. It's actually quite very chaos magic in the sense that we will be doing some, not high level, some intense belief shifting because there's some stuff that goes on as people pursue prosperity, shall we say, or flourishing, where they bring some ideas that even if they're accurate, don't serve them. And I'm talking about mostly intersectional and like wrong-headed Twitter intersectional stuff about various oppressive networks. And it doesn't matter whatever what particular intersectional constellation you have of having some kind of disability or being trans or being non-white or whatever it is. That's the whole point of intersectionality as an op. It's very good as an internal assessment, but if you try to use it to describe the world, you ruin yourself. It's fucked. So even if it's true, the fastest way to overcome it is to believe it's not true. And that is deep chaos magic. And that's fucking hard. I can do it. Something wrong in my mind where belief shifting is sweet for me. So we're going to be doing stuff like that. And it's going to take people into some uncomfortable places, but I think they're necessary because the rest of the stuff, people who join the site, even if they're beginners, quickly get reasonably good at magic. Like sigils, the way I have it set out, they work, right? And if you're feeling particularly boss, you can crack open a grimoire and... Have an alarming evening. Same thing with tarot and journeying, and this stuff will do the things that I'm telling you it can do. So that's not where a big chunk of the focus in the Wealth Magic course is going to be. It's going to be in the belief shifting. It's taking core chaos magic tech and running with it. Because I spent, it was good that it's going to be Q1. Because as I said, I give away the stuff I want to do in Q4 rather than having the members pick a course. 
So I've actually had three months. I put more work into this. This is the same for all the courses, but more than a book's worth of work has gone into this. And it's because I had to unpick, such as it is, my own success over the years. Like I had a real good career before I did this and I chose to end it. And, you know, now I'm doing this thing. And I'm like, how did, why is that? Because I'm like a, I've got some pretty good intersectional stuff, episodic depression, gay, double migrant. Like there's a whole bunch of things. Yes, I'm white and male. There's a whole bunch of stuff in my intersections that I could use as an excuse if I hadn't achieved what I had achieved. And that's kind of the energy. That's the Capricorn energy we bring where I'm coming for your excuses in this course. And that is out of love. So that's what we're doing. Fair, fair. And you touched on the fact that the secret sauce of THC is you are my diversity guest, the gay Jew. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a, that's, that's a bold one for a conspiracy guy. So, you know, but yes. And just something that maybe is a parallel to what you're saying about bringing beliefs and baggage to something like this is the experience I had of just, and the conspiracy side, I had a lot of angst over when I was younger, you know, fuck these Rockefellers and Rothschilds keeping me stuck in this nine to five shit storm. And, you know, there are reasons, of course, to be critical of the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds, but it's not as personal as I thought it was when I was on the other side of success. When it happened and I made the show and it worked, I was like, oh, uh, they they don't really care. They obviously crafted school and a system to keep the majority of people down. But if I swim upstream, they don't really care about me. That was my own ego, I guess, thought that they did. It's you inherited and it wasn't even because you hadn't even had a chance to fail yet. But you inherited the excuse for failure. Because let me tell you, the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds don't sit around going, fuck those Rockefellers and Rothschilds. So coming back to belief shifting, what are they using? What do they believe that gets them to where they are? And is it different to what you believe? And is there something to that? And that's fucking chaos magic. And there is, of course there is. So that's a really good example of the belief systems that you're using. If they don't serve you, even if they're true, if they don't serve you, who are you hurting? Yourself. Well said. And that is just one of those threads between us. That is why you've been on this show 11 times and are still the reigning guest king. Lucky number 11. I'm into it. Yes. Very cool. Well, you know, I always love having you here. It seems like the next time we'll talk is going to be as we traipse our way through the Amazon on our ayahuasca retreat this summer. Absolutely. Looking forward to that. Yes. I'm very excited and scared. And, uh, you know, I guess I'll see you then, man. Nice one. Well, thank you very much. Great chat as ever. And this is the way, good people of the internet. Gordon, Magic, Macon White, back for the 11th time. And as always, I thought there was a lot to like today. I know with Gordon, some of it becomes about me or becomes about us and the respective countercultures that we operate in, but sometimes it's very cathartic for me. Sort of my conspiracy host therapy. Conspiracy yoga for all the rest of us and therapy for me, and also strategy somewhat. Not only for me, who's out here running this thing alone and without much guidance, but for all of us trying to wade through some pretty chaotic times. And hey, if you got a wizard in your life, lean in when they got something to say about it, right? 
But the overall theme going into it is just where we are in this transition to a new year in the arbitrary man-made Gregorian rat race driving calendar cycle. And conspiracy yoga is a good term. First off, it's not so serious. But it's also about working out these ideas that emerge from our particular counterculture. And I don't think it's all that well-defined, actually. I mean, there's a ton of overlap with the things that me and Gordon are both doing, but it's just fun to frame it up that way. And so we work out these ideas, we pull on them and see what kind of merit they have, and also where they could be adjusted for better accuracy. And it goes back to one of the first things I took away from a conversation with Gordon, which is that the conspiracy crowd is right to be skeptical and distrusting. We all know that. But maybe we're aiming down the right lane sometimes, but just not hitting the right targets, in particular when it comes to magic and the occult. And I do think some of the typical Western empire-implanted ideas that are incorrect create a box that our theories tend to stay inside of sometimes. If the universe is magical, if the magical worldview is accurate, which I think it is, that blends into and affects so many different themes and ways to look at the world. And I know for myself, I actually get pretty disappointed in me when I forget that or leave it out. The esoteric and mystic and Gnostic has always been a part of Gordon's mindset, and it hasn't always been a part of mine. So even though I'm on board, my brain doesn't always fold it in right away. Sometimes I have to have my nose rubbed in it like a dog's spot on the rug just to remind me. But it is the to use a Gordon term, the haunting or the dematerializing or the decolonizing of these concepts that I like so much about these conversations. Because it's like, even for some pretty epic things, the point is, yes, we can share the same fascination with some of these data points, no doubt. But maybe the conclusions are sometimes a bit too simplistic. Or to use a less condescending phrase, too rooted in the materialism that we're all brought up in, which itself is an incorrect model handed down from on high. So maybe a magic crowd should be the first to see through a lot of it, but we should be a close second. So I thought this was fun. It's a little longer than usual, and I wanted to make sure we got the history stuff in the first hour. That's maybe the most major thematic critique today, and there were some good points there too. Let's not pretend like history hasn't always been contested. And let's try to work out how we can trust historians that don't factor in true conspiratorial perspectives and influence. In fact, I wish there was a Dan Carlin of conspiratorial history. That's a market and a podcast that I would love to see exist. What catalysts for war or justifications for expansion or whatever have we not looked at critically because they were just before our time. But I also liked the point about how we think of time. A lot of the history hoax stuff is very much rooted in looking at time the way the Empire has taught it to us. And that way is wrong. It's not how other cultures look at time. And a secular model is not only more accurate, but I do see how it sort of allows for more anomalies just in and of itself. Also, between the time we recorded this and the time it's released, Australia did see some rain. So that's good. I guess some THC fans down there must have made some cloudbusters this week or something. 
<laughs> but that's the show. If you haven't signed up for the Higher Side Chats Plus, but you listen to those free hours, I think you're missing a lot for the $8. And maybe I'm biased, but hey, we got the system running well, especially for new signups. You can listen in the same way you listen now. I have instructions made up for all the good apps. You can preview the Frequently Asked Questions page first to make sure I got something for you, but come on in. In this particular episode, the conversation got into what Gordon thinks is history's greatest lie agreed upon, what is a 9-11 of the past. We talked about medical conspiracies and the deeper history, herbology, poisons, and witchcraft. A not-so-comfortable section breaking down my magical failings of 2019. We talked about navigating the death process and not getting stuck. We don't have context for that today, but a lot of cultures were very smart to emphasize preparation for all that. We also talked about post-death spirit traps and the moon, the 72 most rune suit movies of the decade, lore seeding, fiction, and the hollow earth, and Gordon's pick for the conspiracists' hopeful moment of 2019. So there it is, action-packed and commercial-free, and I try to keep all these episodes pretty content-rich, and I hope I do enough to make it worth your time. I am quite confident in what I'm doing, but it does sometimes feel very risky to critique what the wider conspiracy media is focused on. And to decide to do things a little differently is also scary. But when I see plus signups go up rather than down, it makes me feel like these are the right decisions. But I hope it's understood we try to focus on what's valuable over what's trendy, aggressive, and divisive. And we try to do it in a nonpartisan way. There's all this talk about everybody's on Team Red or Team Blue. And in my opinion, Team Red and Team Blue are both more similar than whatever it is we are. But whatever. Thanks so much for sticking around to the end. I wish you all the best luck this year. We might need it. And also, as always, thank you to our guest, runesoup.com, for more Gordon. I've done my part. Your move, history hiders, magic deniers, and operators of the big materialist machine. Your fucking move. This is important, hear what I said I'm trying to tell you It's not paranoia, not in my head It's just the hard truth Knocked on your door while I still can To ask you a question Cause I know your head is still in the sand Don't be sheep to your slaughter for the rest of your life Oppressed, oppressed but you're getting woke You say you don't want to be stressed Until the day you die Tough luck, my friend Did you get the memo? Can't you see that we're so screwed? Don't you know we're our kung food? Can't you just admit we're screwed? I'm gonna tell you this anyway It's a scary dark world But we don't have a choice 
seems we're stuck here But you can find noses, drown out the noise Now use that altar And up your magic game And listen to THC, you know You go with the entities If you ever see the UFO Don't be sheep to your slaughter for the rest of your life Oppressed, oppressed, but you're getting woke You say you don't want to be stressed until the day you die Tough luck, my friend Did you get the memo? Can't you say that we're so screwed? Don't you know we're our kung food? Can't you just admit we're screwed? I'm gonna tell you this anyway It's a scary dark world Scarier every day Scary dark world No matter what you say Scary dark world Don't think we'll be okay Can't you say that we're so Did you get the memo? Can't you say that we're so- 